Hello and welcome to another episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I am Tyler, here to update you on everything happening in this crazy A10 season. Unfortunately, Matt could not join us today. He got a little caught up, you know, life is a crazy thing. But we got a pretty great guest host today. You heard him on the pod a few months ago. I want to welcome in Petey Buckets. Thanks for coming on, Petey. Hey, what's up, Tyler? Thanks for having me. Yeah, we get it. first first person to ever come in and have to uh, fill in. But for those of you who don't are, for those who don't know who you are, Petey is the former host of the Hey Ten podcast. So one of the very few people qualified to be able to come in and talk about all the teams in the A Ten. He's been doing it for years too. So I guess. Or- former former host of the hey 10 podcast uh, that kind of hurts because we have not officially discontinued the hey 10 podcast it's just that grant grew up and got a job so he's not in college anymore um and we've both like you know i have a kid now so we haven't really found the time to fire it back up but we still uh, still hope to still plan to at some point well okay i'll, I'll retract the former there um I, I will give enough i will mention it in our errors segment at the end um, not enough for me to go back and take it out of the pod completely, though. Fair enough. As much as I hope that Hey 10 returns, sadly, we've been without it for a few months here. But we're going on, we're going on with this. So I guess we should jump in real quickly here before we start into some news that's come out in the last few hours. And we, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Davidson just beat St. Joe's. So that's piece number one of this. And, you know, we're going to talk about Kellen Grady later. I wanted to pose a question to you as to, is Kellen Grady actually Davidson's best player? But we now have back-to-back games of evidence that say, yeah, he is. And if we think he's not, we're just overthinking it. Pretty clearly. Who's, who's even the argument for second best player there? Or who, who would you argue? Who would you even consider arguing over him? If this was the night before the Dayton game, I would have tried to make a case for Carter Collins who was just playing out of his mind and really quite frankly was making a lot of the tough shots that we expected Grady to make, but now Grady's just come back in full force. He had three pretty bad games in January and now he's come back with back-to-back 20 plus point performances and he looks like the old Kellen Grady again. Yeah. Yeah. He has Carter Collins has been good. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Carter Collins, he doesn't, he doesn't live at the top of the scouting report like Kellen Grady does. Um, so his, his a little bit easier, but, uh, you know, he's been really solid. And I think, you know, depending on uh, the night that you might've watched Davidson play this year, you might, you might not think very much of him, or you might think pretty highly of him Cause they, I feel like they do look good sometimes. And, you know, they only really are going to look good when Carter Collins has it going because they've for a while, they've just desperately needed somebody to step up and help Callan Grady. Yeah. And these rules just simply fit better for the Wildcats. Carter Collins isn't going to carry you through a season. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure Kellen Grady can, but he's shown us proof that he can at least carry you for a few games at a time. And we saw Collins tonight. He goes two for seven, scores only five points against St. Joe's, but it really didn't matter. The rest of the starting lineup was fantastic. And that's kind of the role you want Carter Collins to be in. Just assume that he can get you 10 to 12. He's going to make some great passes. He got four assists tonight. But you don't want to have to rely on him to carry your team. You just want to rely on him to hit a big three or two. 
Yeah, of course. And I think um, they also got 11 points off the bench from Matt Jones tonight, uh, which is which is good for them to see because they, I think, coming into today's game, they had about eight points per game from the entire bench, which, you know, they technically they go about nine deep, but most of those guys aren't carrying any of the scoring load. Um, and that's just really going to put a hard ceiling on how, how good Davidson's going to be able to do in conference. Yeah, and not really much more to unpack from this game. Davidson's offense just absolutely humming against a, a poor St. Joe's D. St. Joe's team that had to go without Ryan Daly again. It's it's a bummer that we're really going to see his career shortened. Injuries have just derailed him two years in a row. But the Wildcats get made threes from six different guys. The only other person to attempt one and not make one was Bates Jones, who went a mere 0 for 1. The ball was singing around. Davidson's offense looked great. And they took care of business at home against the team that they should have. Yeah. And uh, St. Joe's got off to a hot start. I think they led 19 to nine uh, very early in the game. So I think they just had a sort of like a cluster of early threes there that propelled them to an early lead, but then it was just total, total domination from Davidson for there on out, which I think is good because Joe's matched up with them pretty well, took them to overtime um, in a loss last year and then also beat him once last year. So they actually, you know, played Davidson tough twice last year. Um, with, you know, largely the same roster. Um, so I, I thought that Joe's might be able to give them a little bit of trouble, but the, they're just not a good basketball team right now. Yeah, really not. They're kind of stuck stuck in the basement, stuck in the battle for the pillow fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, another team's stuck in that battle, and really not too much to unpack here, but it seems like for those who aren't paying attention, we need to go through what George Washington's schedule has turned into in conference play. They start things off on a Wednesday at 2 when they crushed Fordham, then play Duquesne in a back-to-back, both at home. They're the only 2A-10 teams to do that so far this year. They have their game against UMass canceled because of an insurrection in Washington, D.C., right down the road from where they were about to play. They have some sort of COVID issue that causes them to pause for two days, cancel their game against St. Bonaventure, and then immediately come back after. And now we've just gotten word that their game against Dayton on Sunday is going to be moved down the road to Fairfax because of the possibility of another giant activity in Washington, D.C. And, you know, the Colonials just being smart. We've heard the mayor of D.C. say, hey, people should not be in the city of Washington, D.C. if they don't have to. So GW just getting down the road. Hopefully things won't go badly this weekend, but they might. And the Colonials are just being smart. So, Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see them against VCU because um, they, you know, obviously they're, they're going to be at home for that game um, or they're, they're supposed to be at home for that game. And VCU is, uh, VCU runs a lot in transition and GW actually does a, a pretty decent job of shutting down transition. Um, so if you're looking for sort of an angle of why, why a good team might be able to hang with it or what, sorry, why a bad team might be able to hang with a, uh, a, you know, clearly a much better team. I think that's kind of an interesting contrast in styles that plays in GW's favor. So I'm not necessarily saying like I expect GW to win or anything, but it might, might be a little bit closer than people expect. Yeah. And I completely passed over that because that's just a regularly scheduled game that looks like it's going to be played as planned. And the colonials really haven't had much of that, but for those, for those of you who happen to catch this pod in the few hours before that game starts, I'm just ready for just a, a, an absolute lunatic pace in that one. 
the two kings of high-paced pressure defense and pressing up against each other. If nothing else, I mean, this is, this is true mayhem, true havoc, call it whatever you want. It's going to be fun, and it, it might get very, very sloppy. Yeah, that's right. Mayhem versus havoc, huh? Yeah, and Bones Highland might go for 35 in this one. <laughs> if they just let him loose against the mayhem defense, there might be a lot of Bones Highland layups in this game. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when you're when you're looking at the Ken Palm matchup, um, GW turns the ball over a little bit too much, uh, about a, a over a 20% turnover rate as a team, um, which is, you know, not really good at all. Uh, however, a couple of the guys who are really, you know, m- more responsible for that, um, like uh, uh, Jameer Nelson Jr., um, he turned the ball over a lot. And he's not, you know, he's, he's clearly not there anymore. So it might be, you know, the, the guys who are left are, you know, it, they handle the ball a little bit better. Um, you know, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that backcourt holds up against VCU's pressure defense. Um, because if VCU, you know, gets some easy turnovers, gets some easy buckets, gets out in transition, um, then it's, it's never going to be much of a ball game, right? But if uh, GW can, you know, prevent turnovers, they can also shut down VCU's transition game. Um, which again, GW is, is one of the best in the country at keeping opponents out of transition. Um, you know, they might, might slow the pace down a little bit, might be able to hang around for a little while. So I think that'll be like, from a matchup perspective, I think that's interesting. Um, but I also think, you know, GW's they're two and one in the A10 right now, but the schedule gets pretty brutal with VCU, then Dayton twice, then Rhode Island. Um, so they might, they might come down, back down to earth pretty quickly. Yeah, and and I'll close out the game preview with this. The one thing that I'm most interested to see, GW so far this season has really proved that they kind of go as Jamison Battle goes. And when he's getting good looks and he's getting open shots, then that's when we start to see the Colonials get really dangerous. We saw that in the second Duquesne game. VCU can throw either Vince Williams or Keyshawn Curry on him. I'm assuming that it will be Vince Williams tasked with chasing him around a a lot early on. And that could be a very, very troublesome matchup. I really want to see if Jamie and Christian can find a way to kind of scheme and get battle open because the Colonials just have not been good with getting him loose in games where the defense kind of isn't handing it to them. Yeah, and I think one one thing I want to call out about Jamison Battle is um, he's shooting 60% from two this year, um, but he still takes more shots from three. And for a guy who's 6'7", uh, you really just want to see him go inside a little bit more. You know, it's awesome that you can be a big shooter type. Um, those guys are so valuable, but I think he, you know, want to see him diversify that offensive game a little bit. Um, and last year he took like 80% of his shots from three, so I guess he's getting better. Um, but you know, that's something, uh, I think something to watch as the season progresses to see how, um, you know, how, how the offense is coming along for him. I'm just glad he found the paint because his free throw rate was just pitiful <laughs> last year. And yeah. it is, it, it's a big, it's a big piece of his development. He, he's already taken more shots from two this year through however many games what is it like 10 or 11 it's um, like the, I don't, it's definitely the, not 11 it's either nine it's then he did all of 10. last year yeah yep, 10 games yep so, so that's with, gw with that we'll move into our main segment we're about probably 40 percent of the way through the season and especially since we got a different voice behind the mic tonight wanted to spend the bulk of this show 
talking to Petey about some of the surprising things we've seen around the conference so far this year and which one of the which one of these things will be sustainable what trends are we seeing so far this year that will carry on into March last year we saw we saw a VCU team come out of December looking like a borderline NCAA tournament lock and they end up finishing the year on a giant cold streak so as we as we know the final months can be unpredictable and especially in this season so since we're talking about them, I guess we'll start with the VCU Rams. Uh, yes, I think VCU looks very legitimate from the perspective of like, do do they have the pieces that you would want to see uh, from a team that's going to contend in the A10? Nashawn Highland is a top, you know, what top five, top ten-ish player. Uh, he's he's been extremely good this year. Uh, Ace Baldwin, that little point guard, he is coming into his own. Still not scoring a whole lot, but he is a natural-born distributor. And uh, his, his handle's getting a lot stronger. They've got good pieces in the front court with Vince Williams, Corey Douglas, Hassan Ward. And then these they just bring dudes off the bench, man. They've got athletes on the wings. Um, and as a result, they I think Rhodes has done a great job. Despite being a young team with a lot of new faces that didn't get a real offseason, they've got the 21st-ranked defense in the entire country on Ken Palm. And if you go to Hoop Math, which is one of my favorite basketball sites, and look at how they defend, uh, you know, field goals at the rim, how they defend two-point jumpers, how they defend three-pointers, there's not a spot on the floor where they're weak. They are just they're just good up and down. There's not really a spot that's obvious to attack them. So I think that's really um, I think VCU is very legit. In terms of trends that might be concerning, if you look at their last two games, it's been bones against the world. So in the five point win against at Mason at my very, uh, you know, at my sort of disappointing Mason Patriots bones had 23 points. Vince Williams had 12, then it's just sevens and fours across the board. So not a lot of offensive output um, to support bones there. And then an extremely similar story against Rhode Island, 24 points for bones, 11 points for Kashawn Curry. Then a couple guys had eight. So it's still, I think, an open question on who is going to help Bones night after night. I think we thought it was going to be Vince Williams. He hasn't really uh, stepped up to carry that scoring load in the past couple of games. I'm not saying this is going to be, you know, something that dooms them. But if you're thinking about how good they can be, I think they really need a, a consistent second score to emerge because against the against the top of the A10, if it's just Bones and you know, then nobody else is really stepping up, then they're going to have a hard time. Yeah, and I've probably become a broken record at this point with my concern for that very same issue. But despite that, Vince Williams, number two on the team, 10.7 points a game. They're still scoring 76 a night. They're just getting medium contributions from so many different guys on that end. And, you know, I I guess we'll start this off since we're kind of going back. I thought that that VCU might be a pillow fight team this year. And I was just completely wrong. They're way better than that. Mostly because Bones has turned into just a a much better superstar than I had thought he might. Mike Rhodes has really just given him the keys to the car and letting him roll. So I'm I'm impressed to this point. And I'm almost kind of unsure as to how to answer my own question, just for many of the same concerns that you mentioned. I think they can keep getting by with just a, a simply mediocre offense i'd love to see how their defense holds up against better teams that really test them and 
Hopefully we get to see that on Saturday against Richmond. The Spiders just went on a COVID pause, so we don't know if that game's going to happen. It hasn't officially been canceled yet, so fingers crossed. Maybe it'll be like a GW-type situation where they're off for two days, but probably unlikely. I'm, I'm just kind of looking at their schedule. Unfortunately, I don't think that there's a game coming up that's going to really greatly kind of challenge our perceptions of them. They have to play Dayton, but Dayton doesn't have Chapman to throw on Highland. They're playing UMass. They got all these big bodies to really challenge Trey Mitchell. So uh, things are looking pretty good for them to really kind of rack up wins as we go through January. And for now, it's really just going to be about avoiding landmines until we start getting into these Richmond, St. Bonaventure, St. Louis, at Davidson type games. Yeah, and I think you said um, you said mediocre offense. I think they're knocking on the door of top 100 in offensive efficiency. Um, I think they're you know teams that don't have uh, ball handlers that are quite as strong in a way that like doesn't happen against better teams um, that might inflate that a little bit. But you know, I think this is a team that is going to that you know they're they're going to win a lot of games by a lot of points, and I think the question becomes are they going to be able to hang with like you know Bonaventure uh St. Louis um you know they get they get Dayton home in a way this year um and you know I think there there are going to be questions about how they respond in those sorts of games against more senior more experienced teams um that are sort of like used to the style um because VCU for the for the most part they still are um uh I think relatively a pretty uh, pretty young team yeah, and no, I, I didn't real. I, I guess I misspoke. I didn't truly mean mediocre. I think I meant mediocre from the standpoint of we just don't know where the contributions are going to come from. It's, it's not an offense that scares you, even though it's been really good this year. Yeah, that's true. And I think um, in terms of trends, if we look at, uh, if you click the little conference only toggle on Ken Palm right now, uh, ninth in offensive efficiency in the A-10 through their first three A-10 games. So they got St. Joe's and George Mason and then the, then the loss to Rhode Island. Um, you know, haven't had a ton of output those last three games. So when you think about, again, that issue with like who's going to be the second scorer behind Bones, that's manifested itself in conference. And I think that's where you're going to see, um, you know, keep, keep an eye on like how that – how that looks after they get through this GW game, after they get Tate and UMass, um, some of those others coming up. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I'm torn as to how to answer this. I think that they are a true bubble team. I don't think we're going to reach the point where they get comfortably in at all. They, they better just, they better just rip through these next few games. If the Richmond game doesn't end up happening, um, just, so many potential landmines there, but all winnable games. If they can get out of January without a bad loss on the resume, then we'll still be talking about them in March, just maybe not confidently. Yeah, and I think with young teams like this, I think the thing is, like, they're always going to step on some landmines. Like, it's just what happens. Um, they do have some decent opportunities for good wins. I think uh, they likely play at Richmond at some point this year. They get at Rhode Island, at Bonaventure, at Davidson, at Dayton. Don't expect them to take them all, but if they take, you know, three or four of those, then um, that becomes something that, you know, something. 
Yeah, I, I'm assuming that they'll get that at Richmond game played. Like that's basically the easiest game to re- that'll be the easiest game to reschedule in the conference if it comes to that point. So, yeah, they're, they're going to have to pick up some big wins if they can. I hate to answer my own question with the, the <laughs> hypothetical, but if they can show me against Richmond, Bonaventure, and St. Louis that they have the defense to handle those different teams and what they what they throw up against them, then I don't really care if their offense looks terrible in those games. Then I'll be feeling confident about them going into March. Yeah. So we'll move on to another uh, somewhat surprising team at the top of the standings, at least not in the top three predictions going into the year. But the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, they've only played five games. They look great so far. Four and one overall, two and one in conference. They got the huge resume win at Richmond. And so, Petey, I pose the question to you. Are the Bonnies a legit title contender? Uh, I think they are. I still have them a tick below St. Louis, but if we're thinking about like, could they win the A-10 tournament? Could they, you know, sneak into first place in the A-10? I think the answer is definitely like, got to keep an eye on them as, uh, um, as somebody who has, has a very legitimate chance of doing that. I think like the question for me, and I think the question for everybody for the Bonnies coming into this year was like, what are they going to get better at? You know, um, because like just returning everybody from a team that was kind of mediocre, like doesn't, doesn't mean anything's going to get better. Right. I think we kind of see that like year after year in college basketball. Um, and the answer to like, what do they get better at is like, they have scoring legit scoring outside of Kyle Lofton. Now um, Jaron Holmes put up what 38 points the other day. Um, Jalen Attaway uh, is getting almost 12 points per game. Um, you know, Dominic Welch hitting almost 12 points per game. Lofton is like the second leading scorer on the team and they've got five guys between 11.6 and 14.4 points. Like they're really well balanced. Like the scoring is going to come from um, scoring could come from a lot of different places on um, any different night. And then of course they've still got Osun in the middle, absolutely dominant defensive force. Um, They're actually top 70 offense and defense so far um they've got the one loss to rhode island which is you know excusable um but then they've beaten you know decent a decent akron team decent hofstra team um and a pretty good richmond team where they went on the road and won i think the bonnies look really good i i i just couldn't agree more i have them as the unquestioned number two right now and this is i mean this is a team that i loved going into the year i didn't expect this just the level of fit from Jalen Attaway. They lose Justin Winston, who I guess not having him kind of hurts them on defense, hurts them a little bit flexibility-wise if Oshun gets in foul trouble. But Attaway has been the guy who's kind of just glued the offensive pieces together. He's only putting up 12 points a game, but that's, that's enough. And his ability to both space the floor and crash the glass has kind of just provided them with an extra option for what happens if Kyle Lofton doesn't have that special scoring night, which he hasn't had yet this year. His averages are kind of just in line with what we normally see. And what happens if Jaron Holmes doesn't drop 38 like he did to St. Joe's last week? He certainly won't sustain that, but I think Jaron Holmes is just showing us that he is a star in the making 
And if I had to go through and predict it right now, I think he's going to be on the all-conference teams at the end of the year. Jaron Holmes, really? Yeah. You, I, I, even now, though he's got, he's got like half of his points on the season are in that one game. So he, he's now played great back-to-back games. He missed the roadie game. He was in there for like 22 seconds. I think it was a little bit longer than that. But uh, he, he immediately suffers just nasty back spasms and never comes back. Um, got it. So he, he's been – he was fantastic against Richmond. He was out of this world against St. Joe's. It's not even the scoring for me. It's the fact that he's kind of just their loft in coverage. If Lofton's in foul trouble, Holmes is the guy who covers you. He's only putting up two assists a game so far. I actually think that's going to go up as maybe the points start to decrease a little bit. I don't know. I just, I just really love everything I've seen from him Gene. since mid-February of last year. Yeah, and one thing that I'm going to be looking at for the Bonnies is that when they go to Duquesne on, or sorry, they host Duquesne on Friday, um, the Bonnies are really small around Osun. So especially with Justin Winston gone, uh, Winston is about six eight. Uh, Osun is is huge. He's like six ten. Um, their lineup around him is a bunch of six four and six five guys at this point. You've got Attaway listed at six five. Uh, he would be the second biggest guy on the court. Um, and Dominic Welch, 6'5". Um, and so, like, they've got bigger guards, but I think they don't have, like, that sort of, like, power forward slot guy um, that 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 helps sort of, like, anchor the paint with Osun. I think that's an interesting wrinkle. I don't necessarily think it interesting test to see how, um, uh, see how sort of a, a non-traditionally sized lineup is going to work. Yeah, and when they went down to... Duquesne last year, not technically Duquesne, but played them on their quote-unquote home court. Marcus Weathers was was a non-factor in that game, and it was because it was probably Justin Winston's best defensive game in a Bonnie's uniform. This is the kind of team that can really punish them for playing Attaway at the four, and it's not like they really have another option. All of their other backup forwards are also a little undersized. So... I think you're right. That's the, that's a team that can really crush them. Thankfully for them, there's just not that many fantastic power forwards in the A-10. Um, I mean, your guy, A.J. Wilson, certainly qualifies, but even he's not quite as tough of an issue for them because he's so much more of a speed-based player. You can take that away a little bit more easily. I don't. I really don't even know what the hell the answer would be with Weathers. I guess you throw Attaway on him hope he holds his own he's shown himself to be a strong player he's been really impressive rebounding the ball but yeah i i don't i don't really know what they would do in that but other than duquesne i just i just think they match up so well against everybody else they got two playmakers they got shooters all around especially now that anthony roberts is playing i know he's only one for six on the year from deep but he's got a nice looking shot i think that'll even out a little bit over time between him, Welch, Holmes, and Lofton, who will get going, they got a lot of guys who can spread the floor for you. There's just they just don't have many. They just don't have much in the way of exploitable weaknesses. Their one biggest weakness just isn't that exploitable. Yeah, I think it it's going to be interesting against Duquesne. I think it's going to hurt them against St. Louis. I think um, 
they they went to St. Louis at the end of last season with a chance at a at a double bye and just got blown out. I think they they still have matchup problems against St. Louis. Um, and, and St. Louis to me is the clear favorite to uh, to win the A10. But Bonnie's are very legit. Uh, Mark Schmidt, you know, I don't think we need to talk a whole lot about what a good coach he is. Everybody who follows the A10 knows it. Um, and you know, he's got, he's got pieces to work with. And I think the biggest, the most important part was like, are they going to get somebody, are they going to get buckets around Lofton? It looks like they're getting that now. Um, and yet last year, the, the offense and the defense were both just kind of mediocre. Um, this year, again, only five games, small sample, but top 70 in both at the moment, which, um, which, which sets up really well in a league like the A-10. Yeah, and we know at this point, last year's defensive numbers were a little bit fluky because of the time that that Assume missed. When he's healthy, they got a great defense. And for for me, really, the last thing I want to see here going into these next few games, Kyle Lofton's basically just in line with his averages so far this year. Really hasn't mattered. Other guys have been so good that they've been able to win tough games without Lofton going up a notch. But just does he have that last little kick there, that little kick that's going to make him a surefire first-team all-conference guy? And to me, that's can he get – can he just add another bucket or two per game, get that average from 13 up to 15 or 17? Yeah. And just most importantly, make plays at the end of the game. Yep. He's only hit two threes on the year, two for 15 so far. So never been a great shooter, 33% career. Um But yeah, that buzzer beater against Richmond, that was only second made three of the entire season. So definitely, um, you know, definitely something that you want to see develop. Yeah. And I mean, if you ask me, I, I almost feel like 33 is a little bit low for what he's, for just how his shot looks, but it's certainly a lot more realistic than the 13% he's currently at. Yeah. So we'll go on to one team that was almost consensusly picked in the top four, but has certainly at least bummed out their own fan base so far. The Dayton Flyers sitting at two and two. And, you know, it's not a bad record in a crazy season until you remember that the two losses are to LaSalle and Fordham. I don't know about you, Petey, but going into the season, I had those guys, I had those teams predicted 13th and 14th this year. Wasn't, uh, isn't Matt the one that picked uh, Dayton first overall and slew fifth overall? in his preseason rankings. Yeah. We'll let it, we'll, we'll we let up. him, uh, we'll let him have his come to Jesus moment later in the year. There I will would, be, there will be a slew analyst on this pod before the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dayton. So, I mean, is the, I guess the question about Dayton is like, who's the real Dayton, right? Is it the team that lost to LaSalle and Fordham and a couple of the ugliest games possible? Um, you know, or is it the team that won sort of like grinded out games against Mississippi and Mississippi state won an OT game against Davidson. Um, I think that Dayton's going to write the ship. I think that if you look at that period between the LaSalle game and the Fordham game, they were just in roster turnover hell between Chase Johnson leaving, uh, Rodney Chapman, um, breaking his hand and being unavailable. They had a couple, uh, a couple other guys who were injured and unavailable. I think they had like seven scholarship players against George Mason. And then again, if you look at the glass half full side of it, advanced numbers on Ken Palm are still really good. So they've got uh, top 60 offense. They're exactly at 100 in defense. 
and they've got a lot of room to grow between, I think, Crutcher taking over sort of more of a leadership position, which I think is obvious that Dayton needs him to be that guy night in and night out if they're going to be good. Uh, they've really found something with Mustafa Amzil. He's he's been fantastic. He's been such a uh, such a fun guy to watch. Um, really, really well polished offensive game um, for a uh, for a big man. And then you know I think at some point they get uh, they get Rodney Chapman back um, this year. I, I think he's supposed to come back this year. I'm actually not not certain about that. He's gonna miss a few weeks. Uh, late February, I think. Late February. Oh, okay, so yeah, that's a uh, you know that's a that's a good chunk of. The- but yeah, I mean, I, I I would put money on Dayton to figure it out. I don't know the the losses to LaSalle and Fordham in terms of A10 standings are just going to be killer. But I don't I don't see them dropping outside of like the top six. I would say. Look, I, I there's there's no excuse to lose to Fordham. Like as we saw again when they played Duquesne, that team is just not good. It's it's just simply just a not good basketball team. But if you actually want to look at it from a box score perspective, you can reason as to why it happened. And just the biggest thing is that they're running low on bodies. And they're asking some guys like Kobe Brea, Zimi Nokeji, Mule Sissoko, who asking those three guys to play a ton of minutes when all three of them just really have a lot to learn at the college basketball level. And they've all had moments. No KG's had some really big plays. Although if, if we really wanted to go into it for 20 minutes, I can't believe that a guy, this athletic just stands at the three point line spots up all, all game. He's got to be good going to the rim. I'm convinced of it. I just want him to drive. I don't care what happens. I want to see him. I want to see it. I just want to see if he can make good athletic plays attacking the hoop. Um, and but those guys are all in positions where there's going to be nights where they just don't belong on a division one basketball court you need to be able to take them out they don't have that luxury right now at least not until rj blakeney gets back yeah you saw in the davidson game they would have lost if elijah weaver didn't play yep he was awesome he powered them through the first half until crutcher and watson got going and now like he came out of that game his status is unclear again like the if they don't have him, they could lose to anybody on any given night. But if they get him and Chapman back and Amzil just keeps developing and Shimonga continues to not get in foul trouble, which has been a great boost from him this year, then they're not quite a double buy team anymore, but five, five or six, it's pretty easy to see it happening. And they still could. I still could see them getting a double buy. I don't like want to rule that out yet. I think, um, um, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily know like who I trust to keep them out of there. You know, I do think like you're looking at the Bonnies and well, I guess you're thinking like Bonnies, Slew, and Richmond. Beyond that, I think there are teams that are good. Like you know, I, th- I think VCU is legit, but also like they're so young. You can see them kind of like coming back down to earth a little bit. I don't know if that fourth team. I, like I don't, I don't know if I have anybody like locked in in that fourth team, as that fourth team mentally. I think. Um, and then the other thing is like Jalen Crutcher just needs to take a lot more shots. Um, and I think this is sort of a broken record, but this dude is shooting sixty percent from two. He's shooting over forty percent from three. Like he just needs to shoot more. Um, less of those shots need to be going to the newer guys who, you know, don't quite have the same understanding 
of uh, the offense in the sense of the moment uh, that he does, but like particularly with Chapman's absence, um, you know, it's going to be on Crutcher. It's going to be on Watson. Uh, You know, they need to look a little bit like those Jalen Adams, Matt Mobley backcourts from the Bonaventure team a few years ago where, you know, it's like, it's okay if those guys take 60, 70% of the shots um, for, you know, for their teams night in and night out because they're just by far the best options. Look, I'm I'm not sure that there's a moment there's going to be a moment the rest of the season where Jalen Crutcher is not the best player on the court, and I, I've almost I'm, I sit in my living room and I've almost turned back into like the young college freshman lunatic who used to get frustrated at some of the dumb things Archie would do on offense. Like I every time Jalen Crutcher has the ball, I just want him to go shoot. Yep. Because he can score on anyone. He can score from any spot on the court. He's the only guy I've seen in this conference in the last like decade and a half where he can just pull up from the logo. I don't, I don't want to call him Steph Curry, but he can pull up from the logo like Trey Young, and I'm just completely okay with it because it goes in so often, and he understands that that's a spot that people are going to give to him. And the, the dude's shooting 52% from the field and 41% from three, despite mm-hmm. having a super high usage rate. He's being efficient at a super high volume. And at this point, I just want to see him jack up, the, continue to jack up the volume because there's not enough guys to cover for him. Yeah. No, he needs to shoot more. He, he should have the sort of volume that Fats Russell takes. Um, like, he needs to, like he needs to get to that level in terms of total, total um, you know, total just like number of shots taken. Also, sort of like a, a sneaky underrated moment from that Fordham loss is uh, late in the game, Crutcher, uh, somebody, somebody threw a pass to Crutcher as the shot clock was winding down. You know, he, he got, he got off a three, like a split second late, um, swish bottom of the net, but the refs had to wave it off because it, because it wasn't in time. Um, and you know, that's like, you, you know, that's the, the margin between like this horrible, awful loss to a team that's as bad as Fordham and like, just, you know, getting the hell out of there with an ugly win is just, just like so slim. I think it's important not to overreact to this sort of thing, even though it was like, you know, apocalyptic on Dayton Twitter there. I don't, I don't know if they're like super far away. I think I, and a, again, I think they might be depending on what you're going to get out of Crutcher and EB Watson. Like they really can't afford any more losses, but you know, you build your team around Crutcher Watson and Amziel and you let these other guys develop into supporting roles. Like that's not, you know, that, that could still be a top four team in the A-10. So I uh, two things on that. Number one, so Crutcher on that play, I remember exactly what you're talking about. He has the ball at his favorite kind of deep Jalen Clutcher three-point spot. He passes it off and then gets it back and runs out of time. He didn't move at all on the pass off. If he he could have just pulled from the same spot, and that's that's kind of what we're talking about with the with just the being too unselfish. I love, I I mean, I love unselfish guys, but when he is now the best dude on the team and he doesn't have the guys as last year, he's got to be the superstar. And I, I, I go nuts on this, about this on Twitter all the time. I, I believe I'm with you. I still think that they can be one of the four best teams in the league, but they've already taken two horrid losses. And with the lack of depth, 
you just know that they can't go through and run off, say, like 10 wins in a row. And so maybe they can, maybe they're good enough to be in the top four, but I feel like someone above them, maybe VCU, has to play badly and kind of open up the fourth spot for them. I'm not sure that they're capable of going and taking it just because of the disadvantage that they've put themselves in. They've certainly dug themselves a hole. <laughs> you always got to pencil in those wins against LaSalle and Fordham when we drop the. One other thing I want to point out here, because it seems like it's been worse because of the inconsistency, but A.B. Watson's putting up 16 points a game on 45% shooting from three. This guy's one of the purest shots I've ever seen in person, college or the NBA. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly a globe trotter. Haven't seen haven't seen thousands of these guys, but it, it, when you're just watching him, when he gets open, his, his form is so beautiful. Like 45% from three is actually sustainable the rest of the year for him. He's, he's got to keep it going. I said it before the season, if they're going to be a top notch team, he has to be an all conference guy. And he's, he's right there. He's like on the precipice. He's just got to kick it up a tiny little notch above where he's at. So before we move on from Dayton, I'll, I'll pose this one last question to you here, Petey. Who are your top five at the moment and, and in what order? Oh, geez, put me on the spot here. Let me go to... And go I intentionally to... did not tell you ahead of time that I was going to ask this. That's all right. Um, still St. Louis for me, number one. Uh, number two, I think you got to say the Bonnies are number two right now. Number three... Three, I think, is VCU. Even though I trust them a little, a little bit less, it, it's weird. Um, I think I've got uh, St. Louis, Bonnie's, VCU, then Richmond, then Dayton. I think that I think that feels right. I was kind of hoping you were going to say somebody other than Dayton at five, because I feel like at this point people would kind of just grovel for that spot. And uh, I yeah. think if you ask most people, they think they just kind of try to force it like, Oh, well maybe Davidson, maybe Rhodey. Um, to me, if, as long as Weaver's okay, wow. And he's going to be healthy and give them big minutes while Chapman's still out to me, Dayton's still clearly number five. Um, I, I think they're on basically the same level as VCU, but VCU's just in a better spot right now. To me, it's to me it's SLU in Tier 1A, the Bonnies in Richmond in 1B, and then I guess VCU in kind of like an upper Tier 2, and then Dayton and Davidson right below them. And then maybe it, the three that could still maybe make some noise are Duquesne, UMass, and Rhode Island but the three of them are yeah. just so badly inconsistent right now. I, I, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable with, as, with that as the top six. Yeah, I would have – yeah, Rhode Island would be my sixth team. I would have them a pretty clear tier above um, who you mentioned them with, but I think, like, they just had – like, Rhode Island played a brutal schedule, so if you look at the six and six record, like, doesn't jump off the page, but, like, you know, they're all f- – five of their or sorry three of their losses are to power five teams um they lost to you know they lost to davidson who can look good on the right nights and they lost to richmond at richmond which is like no shame in that 
Um, but you know, they beat the Bonnies, they beat VCU, they beat Seton Hall. Um, like all of their five of their six wins are against Ken Palm top 100 teams. Um, and all of their six losses are against the Ken Palm top 100. So I think there's a case for, but I think from like, from a, from a projection perspective, I think I'm, you know, pretty, pretty comfortable with, uh, uh, with who we talked about in there. So I guess we'll, I guess we'll go into this one then. Two guys who seniors, they've been superstars in the league for years and really kind of struggled to start the year. Now, God, I don't, I don't even know. Can we even say that Kellen Grady's struggling anymore? I sent you that as a topic before, as we talked about at the top. I sent you that before he dropped 21 on St. Joe's. At this point, I think he's kind of just back to normal. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I've always approached the Kellen Grady question a little bit differently than most people have. Like people see Davidson struggle and they're like, what's wrong with Kellen Grady? I've always, you know, I, I, for the large part of his career, Kellen Grady's been fine. He's just been a very good player when Davidson has really needed him to be a great player and he hasn't ascended to that level, but he can still be the best player on a very good team. I think the problem that Davidson has has always been a supporting cast problem dating back to last year. They don't put, you know, a really athletic lineup out there on the floor really at all. Last year, I like, I'm always surprised all over again when I go and see this, but if you go to Ken Palm and go to the Davidson page for 2020, they were 26th in offense in the entire country last year. So like they're getting it done on that side of the ball. The problem was they were 163rd in defense. This is a team that just like, they can't get good. They can't get stops when they play quality competition. Um, And that leads to a lot of these sort of like dumb, bad losses that you see from them. And it also leads to the fact that like, you know, they, they, they don't have a lot of good wins. Like they can light bad teams on fire, uh, but they've I don't, I don't really know that he ever went anywhere. You know, he has some good games and he has some bad games like everybody else. Um, but I think he has, like, he seems to be taking the ball into his hands a little bit more, taking some more shots, particularly in crunch time late in the game. Um, hit that huge um, contested three to send the Dayton game into overtime, uh, which ultimately they lost. But I think, like, hopefully he's he's turning into that guy who's going to, you know, take the ball into his hands at the end of games like that. Cause that could make them really interesting. Cause he certainly has the talent level to be able to do that. So Kellen Grady's reputation has been warped. I, I blame the Friday ESPN two people for doing this because they were just, everyone was grappling for national headlines and they're like, Oh, Hey, this kid from Davidson can shoot. And he went to Steph Curry's camp when he was a kid. So let's just call him the next Curry. And like the first, the very first pod Matt and I ever did, it was a legitimate topic as to whether or not Kellen Grady was going to be a lottery pick. Yep. And that was never that what we didn't realize at the time is that he was never going to develop into that guy. And I think his problem earlier in the season is that Davidson tried to use him almost like that guy as the go-to, we must lean on this guy, ISO scorer, and that's not him. What we're seeing now is where Kellen Grady is really at his best, which is he can still be your best scorer, but he has to do it in the flow of a good offense. He can put up the points that guys, that the other guys on this roster can't get night in and night out. 
as long as they can help him. And this is where I think Carter Collins has really made his greatest impact this year. 41 assists through 12 games. It doesn't sound like a lot, but the guy's really not playing point guard for them yet. He's putting up three and a half assists a game. He's, he's just helped to give their offense so much of a flow. And what we saw in the Dayton game is that Kellen Grady was able – well, I, actually, you know what? I'm going to go back because I think he started to feel himself a little bit second half of that Duquesne game where their offense opened up and all of a sudden Grady finds himself in good situations and good shooting spots. And so he's starting to get comfortable now in the flow of this offense. And now we're starting to see those tough one-on-one ISO shots occasionally start to go when they were all just bricks early on in the season. I actually think he's becoming really dangerous. And over this last month, we have a chance to really see kind of that true final upper echelon of Kellen Grady, where now he's in the flow of the offense, but without John Axel, which has never happened before. And now he can be the number one guy. I, I didn't I didn't put him on my first team going into the year. And that looked so smart for a while now, but like that Dayton game was an indication that he might be going there again and act and deservedly so, not just simply on name recognition. Yeah, and I think it'll be like, you know, he needs to have more games like the Dayton game, I think. Um Richmond in that home loss against Richmond um, they lost by six Grady had seven points the whole game Um, Richmond really was able to you know able to take him out of the game make the supporting cast beat you Davidson supporting cast they look a little bit better this year but like they're not you know they're not going to beat good teams they need Grady to be they need Grady to be Grady Um, and again I think the like the problem with Davidson I think to look at like what's wrong with the best player when a team is struggling or not living up to expectations like I maintain that Grady's like Grady's fine Grady has been fine this is a team that again um, 130th ish in the country in total defense Uh, like they just need to get stops and they struggle like they can again you're gonna see them blow out bad teams this year they just can't get stops when they need them against good teams like that's that's always been what's killer for them um and I actually thought they would have struggled against Duquesne as well if Duquesne hadn't been coming off a uh, – like Duquesne was playing their third game in four days and their legs just died um, in the second half there. Like I, I didn't love that matchup for them as well. I, I just thought that they caught Duquesne at the right time. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Like, you know, I think I think that's like the, the question to get about Davidson to me is like can they figure out a defense? I don't I – don't... I mean, look – like Duquesne's offense did them a lot of favors in that game. That was, it was pitiful. Like that was one of the worst offensive outputs I've seen from the Dukes in the last decade. And their legs, like you said, their legs died out and they stopped controlling the paint. And by that point, there was just kind of nowhere for them to go. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we can really judge that one and give Davidson a gold star just for, holding Duquesne under 50 when the Dukes were playing like garbage. Yeah. I mean, to me the like the, the whole question about Davidson is the defense. Like they, they can manufacture an offense. They'll, they'll score points. Um, can they get stops against good teams? It's been the same story for a couple of years now that, that no, they can't. Um, and that's like, 
that's that's what's that's ultimately what's going to determine how far they go and how how high they rise in the rankings here. Yeah, I mean, I don't really believe in the defense, but I believe in Carter Collins. Um, <laughs> Clearly, you know, Matt's Matt got a lot of stuff wrong this year, as you already mentioned. Uh, <laughs> the St. Louis fans know that, but he got the Young Jun Lee breakout right. That guy's fantastic, yep. and. Uh, like, I got to say, like, this honestly might be the most optimistic I've been about Kellen Grady at, at any point. I think he's actually making – he's made – his last two games, he's made a true superstar impact, not just a reputation superstar impact. I'm, I'm – just everything I've seen from him since he got going in that Duquesne game. I'm serious when I say it. I, I, I think February might end up being the best month of his career. Yeah, that's a that's a bold prediction, but looking at the schedule, you can certainly see it. So we'll, we got we're going to cover these last two here pretty quick. Um, I just mentioned Duquesne's offense; they're coming off a back-to-back forty-eight point games. They lose sincere Carey and Lamar Norman, who both transfer. Maceo Austin is gone at the moment, although it seems like he's might come back. We don't know if it's this year or in the future, but. Not officially out the door, but not there right now either. Like Duquesne's offense is it's just sucked. <laughs> and so like is is there a fix there? I watched every I've watched every minute of their conference season. And if Carrie's not coming back through the door, there's not a ton left that they can do. Carrie, yeah, I mean, like Sincere carry. Hope hope he figures it out. Hope he finds some success elsewhere, wherever he ends up going. Um, but in a in a lot of ways, he was like you know, if you're looking for reasons why Duquesne's offense is struggling out of the gates this year, Carey was not good. Um, he had as many turnovers as he had assists. Um, his shooting was his shooting's been been terrible. Um, shooting under forty percent um overall including under 40 percent from two which is like you never never want to be down there that's that's a horrible range um so i don't think like they don't you don't necessarily replace a guy like sincere carry just because he's such a you know he's a very unique player um my question for duquesne is like do they have like a natural distributor on the roster i don't think they do i think like tavian dunmartin is probably going to be the nominal point guard going forward, but he's much more comfortable as a, uh, as a shooting, as a, as a shoot first guard um, guy, like looks for his own shots. I don't know if he necessarily makes his teammates better. Um, like when he's got the ball in his hands all the time, I think like, I think that's the question, but I, I also think they might. And again, I hate to drag sincere carry like this because he's a good player, but he was like, he was just horrible through the first five games. I don't think their offense like gets like realistically gets much worse. I think they can only go up a little bit. So the big problem is that their their assist leader on the team right now through six games is Michael Hughes with twelve. Don Martin has nine as their backup point guard, and that's despite being the starting point guard for a full game. And you, you could tell just watching that game that Dan Brought basically sent him out against Fordham, telling him to make sure he distributed. And this team just might be a pitiful ball movement team for the rest of the year. And we might just have to accept that. They got some good isolation guys between Weathers, Dunmartin, Ryan Murphy comes in from Pitt. He looks like he's finally starting to get his legs under him. Remember, 
he didn't practice basketball from the end of last season until mid-December in a, in a team setting, at least. He's finally starting to look comfortable on the court again. I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure that they – I'm not sure if trying to force Dunn Martin to be a point guard is the best option for them at this point because it might not work, and they might just be better off just playing some horrible iso ball and just hoping that guys can get hot and maybe they can get enough passes out to the freshmen on the wings for some good looks. Yeah, yeah. The thought crossed my mind that like Marcus Weathers is a really smart post player. Can you run like you know point forward, Marcus Weathers? Um, but you know he, he's never had a lot of assists in his career. Hughes might, Hughes might be the guy, but I also feel like Dan Brock kind of hates Hughes, um, or not hates him, but like you know he seems like kind of a knucklehead. And Dan Brock does things like you know he brings Hughes off the bench like when he's clearly like one of the best players on the team and should be a starter. Um, and he's done like little things like that, I think, to do you know the thing the coaches do, or they're like sending a message, like you're not paying attention in practice or whatever. Um, and like I think that's the that's the like I think you've hit like I don't I don't know how much we need to talk about like the main question, and the question is like how how does the offense gel if the offense is just a series of like Tavian Don Martin's going to take a twenty five footer or like we're going to get Marcus Weathers isolated in the post like there's only so much. Like there's a pretty hard ceiling to that sort of approach if it's just like iso ball in different spots of the court, um, and I don't like the the again I don't think they have a natural distributor on the roster. I think if you're a Duquesne fan and you're looking for some hope there, TV and Don Martin his assist rate has gone down each year that he's been um, with the Dukes, so he he was actually at a 23 and a half percent assist rate back in 2019 um, two years ago maybe that's some indication that he could actually like i think they're like in the course of figuring it out they're gonna have some pretty pretty ugly games yeah and you know regardless whether or not they figure out the point guard issue they got to reestablish marcus weathers he's only at 13 points a game right now and their offense has been at its best when they just kind of let him cook from that low corner about 13 feet out and just make his attacks to the rim, whether it's him trying to get shots up or just dishing off to the centers, that's been the best thing that they've had. The point guard issue, uh, it has to either be Dunmartin or maybe, God, it's it's unlikely at this point, but maybe there's some potential salvation from Tyson Acuff. I I still don't think I'm saying that right, but he's, He's only been playing six and a half minutes a game so far this year, but this is a guy who was putting up about six and a half assists a game in his high school career. He was a Mr. Basketball finalist in Michigan. His high school stats will just blow your mind to see them. They were using him a little bit as a backup point guard against Fordham, but that offense was just so clogged in the toilet at that point. He was a little tentative. I think against Dayton in a game that's going to be a little bit faster, a little bit looser, I think they got to give him a shot. I don't know if it's going to work, but there's, there's a little glimmer of hope there if he can provide something for them. He's 6'5", too. He, can, he kind of offsets Dunmartin being like 5'8", five, 5'9". Yeah, great size. Um, was, a, was a really good recruit, if I recall. Um, but it's just, such a, it's just such a tough year to expect – a freshman to come in and be an impact 
like if if you're Duquesne, you've got to rely on your size, your length, your athleticism. The defense has looked pretty good so far, um, top 80 in the country, um, top two in the A-10 in conference games so far. Like I, I think this this they're going to need to become sort of a defensive oriented, grinded out kind of team. I don't think I, I think they tried to run a little bit last year. Played, um, I guess they didn't play super fast, um, but they're really. I, I think you're going to see them slow it down even further, grind it out, try and play through the post because that's where their strengths are. Where their strengths are, and yeah, like they've got to like they've got to figure out the backcourt because losing sincere carry in all those minutes is is just absolutely killer. Yeah, I, and the defense should still be pretty good. I just don't – even if they get Weathers going again, I just don't see the offense being good enough for them to get back in the double buy conversation. I still think they're somewhere around a 500 team, maybe 7, 8, 9 range. It's just a bummer for what this team was going to be going into the year. Yeah, f- fully agree. So yeah. – We'll wrap this up with, with this. For anyone who doesn't know, you are one of the preeminent George Mason basketball fans. So I will let you, uh, I will let you lead the discussion here <laughs> to close out the pod. What, what's, what's going on with the Patriots right now? Uh, so I, I tweeted a little bit last night, sort of like rage tweeting about um, something that uh, a the problem with Mason, um, it all, I feel like this one chart explained just all of it. And it's the chart, um, of field goal percentage at the rim and field goal attempts at the rim. Ideally you would want to be, you know, you'd want to have at least a decent amount of field goal attempts at the rim. Um, and then you also want to like shoot a good percentage when you're there. Mason is so far into the least desirable quadrant. Like we don't get to the rim very much and we shoot a terrible percentage when we do like you have to open up the screenshot to find them. Um, Like people, like one guy commented on Twitter, like you like tweeted at me. Like I didn't actually think Mason was even on there. I stared at it for like a minute before I even saw them. Um, This is a team like the offense just does not. Everything looks difficult. Um, it's sort of this like clogged toilet sort of offense where the ball just does not move quickly. The ball tends to stick. We don't get to the rim, but we're also not like a perimeter oriented team that helps offset that from an offensive perspective. We are one of the, I think we lead the A-10 in two point jumpers, which if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably fairly analytically inclined. You know that two point jumpers are teams in the past five or 10 years has started avoiding them like the plague because they're the least valuable shot on the court. Generally, you're going to hit like what 30 something, 40 something percent of your two point jumpers. Um, So you don't want to take too many of them because it's not a shot that's going to be valuable over time. We take all of them and we're like, we're not particularly good at hitting those either. So from a Mason perspective, the offense is just garbage at the moment. Um, Barely, barely top 200 in Ken Palm at the moment. Um, it's just like, it's bad, man. It's ugly. I just want someone to go rescue AJ Wilson. (laughs) Yeah. I came into the season thinking he was like a poor man's mid-major Jeremy Grant. He's put, he's putting up 9.3 points a game. It's utterly ridiculous. He's your best player. Yeah. And you know, I think, um, he, Oh my God, Javon Green's under 10 too. Sorry. 
Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's bad, man. Um, and, you know, AJ is not blameless. I think his, you know, his shot selection could stand to improve. And I mean, he, he like he's clearly our best player. Um, but, you know, he like he takes a lot of those mid range fadeaways, which like make me cringe a little bit because, um, you know, love AJ to death. But like he hasn't been hitting a lot of them this year. I love to see him like get the ball in the post and like make a move and go strong to the rim um, instead of shooting a fadeaway. And I mean, that's, that's just the sort of thing that needs to change. Um, all of the offense so far for the Patriots, um, Jordan Miller and uh, Tyler Kolick and like Kolick has been a revelation. He's been fantastic. Um, I love what we're seeing from him, but like just across the board everywhere else, it's like rolling a boulder up a hill, every single possession, just like n- nothing, nothing looks easy. So, uh, you know, I, I want to end this on a happy note for you. I'm so glad you mentioned him. <laughs> is Tyler Kolick a franchise point guard? A franchise point guard. Um, like a guy that three years from now, you're going to be so happy that he's still there. And other A-10 fan bases will be bitching on Twitter about how the hell is this guy still around? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he could be. Um, I think the jury's still out. He's, uh, you know, I, I think Mason fans like really want him to be, but at the same time, you know, when you're lost in the desert, everything looks like water, right? Down three point shooter for years at this point. And like Kolek is like, he's a catch and shoot guy. He's a guy who can create his own shot and hit jumpers from long range. Um, I think those are all good signs. I think in terms of like when you're evaluating freshmen who are good at one specific thing, what I like to do to see like how viable is that skill set long term? Like what can you expect them to do really well? You just you like you want to see what else they're good at, right? Um, he takes almost all of his shots from three so far. So we don't really know if like, you know, getting to the rim is a skill that he's going to be able to develop. He's hit a couple nice little floaters in the lane, so I think so, but he's still primarily like just doing all of his damage shooting from outside, which is like which is okay because that's what we need. Um, but you know, I think, I think long-term, like he's definitely a scorer. I think he'll, he'll continue to be a good shooter. Um, form is really nice. Looks good. Like he's a lefty and for whatever reason, college players, like, I don't know if they just don't have experience from high school guarding lefties who are really good. So that's always like something that's sort of an advantage. Um, but really to this point, he's just, he's just been sort of a pure scorer. doesn't get a ton of, a ton of assists. Um, you know, doesn't get a lot of steals or anything like that. Um, so sort of want to see him like round out his game a little bit before, you know, I'm going to say that he's going to turn into like a, I don't know, like a, like a Blake Francis type or something, somebody who just gets buckets. So I will say if, if he can just work on his passing over the summer, just really, really get in the gym with some of these other young dudes and build up a great rapport, then I think he's got a chance to be something really special starting next year. I've been pretty impressed with him from a from a third party perspective this year it's like it's impressive for a uh like part of the i I like i waffle back and forth on tyler colick because i'm like you know how like mason starts two seniors two two seniors a junior and two sophomores and we bring like more juniors and more seniors off the bench and it's like how is this freshman tyler colick our best player it's like it's like it, it like it tilts me that like it shouldn't be like this in in year 6 of the paulson era um but i think that's also like 
you know, the he, he's a freshman who has the confidence to come in and take over games when he knows that the team needs it. And I think there's like, there's a lot to be said for that. Yep. Well, we will end it on the great Tyler Kolick note. <laughs> Petey Buckets, thank you for stepping in. Our f- only the third person to ever host this podcast. Well, I'm honored. Our first ever guest host. We, we uh, it was great to have you on. Um, got anything to plug? Uh, Twitter. You, you 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 go on these lengthy Twitter feeds. I don't know what you're doing during the day when these happen, but. <laughs> <laughs> they are gr- they are great reads the the at PD buckets Twitter account. I'm working really. Oh man, I think we lost PD. About- oh, he's back. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, no Twitter at PD buckets. Um, I do my work with uh, by George GMU. Um, it's a team of uh, Mason fans that do really great work covering Mason. Um, so if you're a Mason fan or just interested in learning more, check them out. Um, but yeah, I'll be blogging, tweeting, hoping to uh, resurrect the podcast at some point. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you for coming on for anyone who's listening. Make sure go, go follow PD on Twitter. If you listen to this pod and you don't follow PD yet, I'm, I'm kind of just confused. So make sure you go do that. He'll give you some great insights. Thank you for coming on and thank you guys all for listening in to another episode of the three bid league pod. As always, just send any comments to our Twitter page or our email. If there's anything you think we can be doing better or anything you like, give us five stars on iTunes and everybody just be sure to stay safe out there.